Hi-dee-ho, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me each week is one real ace, Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? <sighs> Pete, are we, uh, are, are we boring you there? I mean, do you know the definition of ennui? Uh, Matt, there was no boredom in episode 105 of Agent Carter, The Iron Ceiling, which was brought to us by... Bye-bye, bourbon. When you're <laughs> looking to get out of Russia in a hurry, grab yourself a bottle. Uh, definitely. Sometimes you do need to hurry along. And Pete, the podcast, not just this week, but the, the podcast in general is brought to everybody by everybody. And if you would uh, like to help us with our bandwidth and storage costs, just want to let you know you could head over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Uh, we've set up a Patreon account and a uh, little way to reward people who give a little bit and uh, do check back every so often uh, at our Patreon page as we add different rewards in the future. And uh, with that, Pete, enough uh, jibber-jabber. Let's get going here. News of the hour! In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest and the need to know. Pete, where do we start? Good old US of A. Of course not, Matt. Instead, 1937 Russia, and nothing gets the blood pumping. Like uh, seeing a bunch of uh, little girls handcuffed to beds, sharing crusts of bread, watching uh, Snow White, where they're repeating subliminal messages, and then fighting in front of the headmaster to the death. This was an incredibly creepy, albeit effective, opening to the episode. I mean, we kind of have tween fight club here. It's it's creepy. It's, I mean, borderline kind of tortury. It's just, you know, it's it, it's just this, not quite horrific, but certainly a, a horror-filled opening to the episode. Of course, ending with Dottie for the kill. Yes, Dottie wakes up in current 1946 New York. And remembers to do her sit-ups. Uh, still, uh, still conditioned as it seems, and uh, something that we'll revisit uh, towards the end of the episode. But Pete, after those, uh, you know, get out of bed exercises, where do we all head to? Oh, you got to go down to the automat where uh, Angie is name-checked, but does not make an appearance this week. Wah, and wah. Yeah, <laughs> is is used really the whole idea that uh, Dottie can, uh, you know, draw Peggy into her confidence and uh, be able to uh, take the keys to her Griffith uh, Griffith hotel room. Yeah, it's a fun scene where we, the audience, I think, are kind of slightly ahead of things. We're hearing Dottie's questions. We're seeing that they're slightly probing without appearing to be so. And as soon as that purse hits the floor, we know what is it that's going to get taken? What purpose did Dottie have? And uh, luckily, because of the old Jeff Loeb rule, we don't want to let, you know, let all mysteries hang around for too long. And we see, as you say, quite quickly that the keys say Griffith Hotel. Meanwhile, um, we run into uh, Jarvis, Peggy does, for the first time since everything went down. And uh, the subject of the truth of what they knew about Stark uh, comes up. 
And, uh, you know, Peggy's quite accusatory still towards Jarvis, trying to help him see the truth as she sees it. All of the epithets she throws at Howard Stark. And uh, he's still convinced that his boss is a good man. Um, she labels him a servant and uh, attempts he attempts to tell her that she is the same. And she says, no, I'm a federal agent and I'm going to make these men understand. And Pete, that's certainly kind of a, you know, uh, something that sets the pace for the episode. It's this ringing endorsement of, you know, Peggy ascendant. One quick quibble though, in this scene, um, one thing that does set Peggy apart from Jarvis is that, uh, she does not get rained upon where apparently everybody else does. Seems like that's some Burbank magic there. Yes. Uh, I lived in Manhattan and, uh, I can tell you everybody gets wet in Manhattan. Oh my. <laughs> Pete, what happens next? Uh, the SSR is buzzing over the old magic typewriter that turned on at the end of the previous episode. Um, the techs are at it and they have confirmed it is not German because it won't respond to the Turing method. However, that might have been a little bit of a leap for our writers and producers to reference, given that the Turing method named for Alan Turing, the subject of the imitation game played by Oscar nominee Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, his method wasn't something that was publicly acknowledged until the 1990s, pretty closely held secrets. Matt, I know you had some feelings apologetic about that, though. I know completely why Peggy uh, is familiar with the turning method. She is on British Twitter, uh, which was invented in the early uh, Britter. 1940s. Britter, as it's, uh, as it's abbreviated. And, of course, she would have heard about it uh, from... Uh, her fellow Brit, Alan Turing, to this day, all British people just kind of collectively uh, share information um, through through a giant brain. And um, it's tubes, all, tubes, well, tubes, absolutely through the tubes. And um, this is all completely scientific. Yes. Um, Carter uses her uh, code breaking skills to, of course, um, understand that these are map coordinates. She's got a date, April 27th. That's in less than two days and uh, explains that Leviathan is set to acquire something called a havoc reactor for $100,000 from Howard Stark. That's a lot of simoleons. That's some serious cabbage. And uh, no sooner do uh, a couple names get rattled off by uh, chief Dooley. You're going to Russia. And Carter says, it's not just Lee and Ramirez, Lee, Ramirez, and Carter. She says, I am going to Russia, uh, Russia, capping Russia. off this, <laughs> to Russia, um, rush, uh, <laughs> uh, capping off this wonderful scene where, you know, after the initial couple episodes of Peggy can't do things in, you know, in front of the guys, now she literally is the only person in the office, uh, the Virginia-based code breaker included, uh, who can break this code and who does it so so quickly and whatnot. So we, you know, kudos to uh, to the showrunners, et cetera. They started Peggy low so that she might rise up, and uh, the act ends with Peggy Ascendant. Our first formal act uh, begins with the explanation 
that uh, Agent Carter spent three years in the European theater. Uh, but the chief, Matt, is hesitant to send her. Why? He doesn't want to get a woman killed. Pete, normally I would agree with you. I do give the chief a little latitude in this particular situation, and here's why. I think that he was describing to Peggy the reality of the world that is, not his own personal view. He's just basically saying this is a good office, this is an effective office, and if she gets killed, it hurts the effectiveness of this office, not just in you know the, her loss of life, but... Now he's the guy to blame. This is the this is the, the poorly run office, so on and so forth. If a guy dies trying to save her, you know, th- there's a similar there's a similar um, problem which occurs for this office for this this bunch of guys. I'm certainly not sympathetic with his sentiment, but I don't think that he was saying you are not capable. He's just saying here are the circumstances of the world today that prevents you from going today. So I give him a little wiggle room, not a complete out, but just a little wiggle room. I'm stunned. Defender of the female gender, my foot. The 107th is uh, name checked. And uh, Carter says that she can deliver them. She leaves the room. The chief then explains to Thompson that the pressure is on. The vice president has been calling at his home of all places and explains to Thompson that his little crush on Carter is uh, small potatoes. And when Carter returns to the room, she explains that the 107th will meet them on the Polish side of the Russian border. And uh, a fun scene where, again, we're kind of slightly ahead of things. We know that in the time it's going to take for her to step out, we see her in the background, presumably on the phone. Um, We know that she's going to come back with, uh, with the news that not only is the 107th going to meet them, but of course, uh, either the chief or Thompson, uh, if not both, had committed to like, yeah, if you could get them, of course you'd go, but you can't get them, so you'll never go. And, it, you know, it's a fun bit of business there. Um, and with that, Pete, we head into the locker room. Yes. Uh, you know, Jack Thompson. I can't remember hearing his first name until tonight. Um, you know, says, oh, you know, you might as well get changed elsewhere. But Carter explains that uh, she's not going to uh, suffer the indignity of changing into tactical gear in a public restroom. Uh, I mean, it's it's a chuckle-worthy joke. I'm reminded of, and I could be wrong on the specifics here, but something like the U.S. Capitol building didn't have a woman's room within, you know, a thousand feet of the, uh, the, the, the house floor until like 1995 or, you know, some kind of super astonishing, uh, fact there. So, you know, it, it's played for a laugh, but a reminder that, that it's a challenge then. And, uh, to a certain degree, things like that, or that sentiment, a challenge to this day. Yes. We get the, the playfulness there. And as they're changing, Sousa comes in locker 42, Matt was mentioned. I know that meant something to you and, and only you apparently. And, um, there was, uh, not a birthmark as, uh, you had uh, thought at one point, but, um, a scar perhaps. Indeed. Uh, I, I will, I, I will, I will admit I had misidentified that double mark as a mole or a pair of moles, but uh, it's, it's true nature will be revealed in a bit. By the way, Pete, I love kind of the, uh, 
the locker room banter that there is as uh, Ramirez and Lee are like, oh, no, a girl seeing me in boxer shorts and an undershirt. That's 1946 practically nakedness. and uh, Indecency. Indecency, of course. Peggy's response, do none of you have a sister, as she goes to the thankfully unoccupied other half of the locker room. Um, But then, of course, there's, you know, the bit of story where Sousa is able to come in and she turns her back to him out of uh, modesty, which, of course, uh, is a tidy bit of story point there. Before we know it, we're on a plane. We're parachuting in. And then it's emu, ostrich. What's the password, Matt? Uh, It's eagle, isn't it? Of course it is. Our howling commandos are on the scene and... Only uh, Matt, who doesn't watch the previews, was unaware of this. And because he reads Twitter and everything else, he was aware of this. <laughs> yes, it was it was impossible to to miss the fact that Dum Dum Dugan was back. Uh, mustache resplendent, bowler hat, wonderfully bowlery. And, um, <laughs> you know, if there's one thing that you get dead on in the beginning of this episode... Uh, or at the beginning of this scene, rather, it's the Dum Dum Dugan clearly has no problem working side by side with Agent Carter. Uh, he's not concerned about her femininity one little bit. No, um, but having fought with Captain America, as he explains, um, not as long as Agent Carter did. So with Dum Dum and company in the fold. Um, they have a nice scene, uh, Carter and Dum Dum in the back of the truck there. Did you bring what I asked for? Those Germans are genius at beer, but they don't know bourbon. That's all about the USA there. Could it could have been a, a, a commercial in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Brought to you by Johnny Walker. Yes. Okay. It, it, it was a fun scene, though. It was two old friends who are our old friends going back to the first Captain America movie, having an opportunity to to hash it out, to try and make some sense of this post-war, post-war world where uh, baddies are still afoot. Well, he tells her that uh, you used to be fun, and he explains that uh, I miss him, Captain Steve Rogers, too. Sousa, meanwhile, is at his desk late. The chief comes by explaining he's meeting a friend for a drink. He doesn't want to go home. His wife won't let him out again. Women, huh, Matt? Uh, What what a nice thing to say to the wounded single GI who gave a leg and now, you know, kind kind of labors by himself in the office. No wife, no girlfriend to go home to. At least the chief isn't, uh, you know, isn't uh, too sensitive to to such concerns. But Sousa is sensitive to this picture of the blonde he's been tracking now for four episodes. You know, that is a good point uh, there, Pete, um, as you are as you are off to do. So, yeah, Sousa does have his own lady problems. He's trying to figure out who is the uh, who's the girl in the blonde hair. And he has positively identified her given the, um, the diagram he has of Peggy Carter with the wound on her shoulder. Yes, it's it's made oh so clear to us that he gets it. It's cut to her file, cut to the picture, cut to him going, oh, 
So uh, with that, Pete, the act ends. Pete, when we return from the act break, it's what I call campfire time. Yes, and uh, Agent Lee thought he saw uh, an abdominal snowman, Matt? Hey, he he might have, and while we're talking about it, I'm sure he wants to remind you that you can go on Expedition Everest at uh, Walt Disney World because hashtag (laughs) it's all connected, and uh, Disney didn't buy Marvel for $6 billion just for chuckles. Yeah. But the abominable snowman, of course, uh, some, having spent some time in Tibet, apparently, uh, he did not see. But uh, Agent Jack Thompson's uh, Navy Cross comes up because he didn't get that for digging trenches. Yeah, he kind of starts to open up there about the horrors of war, setting up a later scene. And uh, kudos to the show to to kind of um, have a certain trajectory for Thompson, because I think it would have been easy for him to simply be, you know, the guy who's the best agent in the office and and, and a constant around which people like the more sympathetic chief uh, and, of course, Peggy can change. Um, But no, here he's kind of opening up and uh, it's a reminder that for all those for all those heroic stories from World War Two, you know, a lot of guys came back with, uh, well, with what we would now call PTSD. Right. He explains that in 1945 uh, on Okinawa that uh, he had fallen asleep, uh, that the Japanese uh, incurred, and uh, they were over his sleeping CO, and he shot them all. He shot them all uh, before anybody knew uh, they were there before the first man was awake and in setting that up indeed for the end episode reveal. And uh, yeah, he gets to share the bottle after that. A little bit of bonding, but kind of false bonding as we'll come back to. Indeed. With that, we cut to Dooley talking to in the big in the big crossover of the universes. He's talking to Lionel Luther, Pete. Yes. Um, and the subject here is the battle of Finale, um, 247 Russians massacred in a battle that no one will take credit for. Um, but the, uh, while this should have won this journalist, a Pulitzer, the editor spiked the story and, uh, now, uh, he knows that, uh, Stark was there for the cleanup in Russia and uh, that Stark took a swing at a recently deceased General McGinnis. Um, somebody's got evidence here, but not the whole story. Don't you just love it when journalists matter used for exposition? Pete, it didn't surprise me, but uh, what was surprising was seeing actor John Glover in this episode, a real treat. Um <laughs> looking you know looking well after all these years and whatnot and uh a ton of fun definitely uh certainly gives a a nuanced performance in the one scene um meanwhile we're back in uh russia and um thompson wants to go in guns a blazing carter of course urges a two team of four discretionary approach they uh wind up in the classrooms there they check out the cartoon and she rapidly uh figures out there are 
subliminal messages encoded instill fear, Matt. Yes, quite a quite a command. That that uncovering moved a tad fast for me. Maybe if there was a little bit of exposition, like, you know, wait, I've heard tales of the Russians doing brainwash, just something to kind of bridge the bridge the miraculous discovery but certainly proof of peggy's uh, great value and pete did you notice that when thompson was handing out orders in the previous scene it kind of seemed that the howling commandos were a little reluctant to to follow his orders or follow his plan until peggy had given the stamp of approval and uh you know of course as you said her her suggesting a couple of uh, mild changes there Yes. As they head deeper into the boarding school, they find the beds and the shackles and a crying child and dum-dum checks on her. Are you okay? Oh, you like my hat? It's a bowler hat. Why do they call it that? Stab. (laughs) End of act. So Pete, after the act break, dum-dum Dugan dead forever. The end. Yeah, no, he's prepared he's prepared to make the little girl dead forever. He's ready to throw a grenade <laughs> down the hole she went through. Okay. Thankfully the vest took the brunt of uh you know the knife, but um Carter wisely stops him from blowing up the little girl and, and probably themselves. And um we find out that Lee is dead here. TV code for, boy, that was serious, but thank goodness none of the famous people got killed. Exactly. Um, stateside, Jarvis finds the chief in the rain. So some storm they had, a couple days worth. Um, and uh, explains that he has uh, something, that Julie has something to tell Jarvis, that uh, his boss has a lot of enemies. And that in the spring of 44, there was a fist fight. Yes, Pete. Apparently, uh, Howard Stark goading General McGinnis into uh, into a fight. And uh, I, I believe reference is made to Stark swinging first, but McGinnis being so much bigger. So Stark gets the stuffing knocked out of him. But a week later, McGinnis is miraculously, uh, I think, resigns with the implication of kind of pushed out. And Stark gets a big contract. But now maybe there's revenge for all of that. And maybe maybe at the core of this story arc of season eight, uh, of the, these eight season episodes. Eight. <laughs> the, the, see, I'm Easy so hopeful, there, Matt. <laughs> it's going to be eight episodes of season Carter at, at eight apiece, 64 episodes total. Um, but the eight episode arc, we we have perhaps been, been offered the uh, the genesis of it where it's just kind of, you know, it, it's a revenge plot to uh, to make Stark look bad for, you know, for this uh, slight against McGinnis. Well, the chief explains to Jarvis, there's three sides to every story, and he tells him to tell Stark he just wants to get to the truth, gives him the number where he'll be 24 hours a day. It was nice, too, in this episode to see um, Dooley firmly on the, the side of goodness and being a good guy and wanting the truth with a capital T and not just the truth, the truth as he perceives it. Um, one of the effects of this eight episode story arc is they do have to kind of speed things up to a certain degree or at the very least you can sit and say, Hey, we're only halfway through the fifth episode. I see how far we've come in four episodes plus a little bit more. Oh, Dooley is headed in a certain direction. And uh, it certainly was welcome here because he's a, uh, he's not a warm character, but he's likable. 
Well, thank God, Matt, as uh, Peggy explains to the two prisoners in the uh, Russian boarding school, we're the good guys. <laughs> we're the Americans and the British. It's 1946. Enough said. Um, by the way, Pete, uh, if you think that those jail cell, those guys in the jail cell would have said, um, hey, let's do exposition after you let us out. Can you please unlock the door first? <laughs> but but um, no, that's not the case. They're just concerned. Oh, you're not Leviathan. And with that, we head back around the globe again because we're we're cutting New York, Russia, New York, Russia. We're back to the old Big Apple. Yes, Dottie enters Peggy's room, having swiped the key. She uh, feels around, finds in a stowed uh, location a music box. She sees photos of uh, multiple pieces of Stark tech. She puts it all neatly back. She notices the photo of Captain Steve Rogers, which we've seen quite a few times. And then in the mirror, Matt says, hello, I'm Peggy Carter and uh, takes out the uh, number 102 Sweet Dreams lipstick and leaves a string on the lock. Indeed, the string which she had uh, she had knocked down when she first entered. Um, Pete, it's not necessarily a, 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 a big thing to mention here. Our, our pal Mike Sorensen predicting, well, if there was one string there, what are the other things that uh, Dottie did not see that will nonetheless tip off uh, tip off Peggy that her room has been broken into? Something to file away uh, for this week. But with that, the string back in place, the act ends. Back in Russia, uh, Carter wants to know why Leviathan is holding them prisoner. They have an engineer, the two gentlemen there. Um, and the one, the doctor explains that the other, Nikolai, uh, he sees things in dimensions we can't. Uh, Matt, possible uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. connection there. You know, Pete, I was rather blinded to that because with this description of, oh, he's seeing all the connections, he sees the biology and the this and the that when he looks at the field, I was actually saying, wait a minute, this Nikolai, it sounds like Matt and Pete seeing all the connections, <laughs> seeing literary elements, scientific elements, historical elements, and you know, Marvel elements. So uh, perhaps I was perhaps I was uh, blinded by the the vision of greatness that was Nikolai, but. Uh, Pete, that's a really interesting theory and probably a better one than the show was speaking directly to us. Um, but I love this dichotomy. I wish we spent more time with these two guys. I love this dichotomy of the head shrinker and the genius savant. Uh, great, great pairing. Yeah, the the old Han and Chewie, uh, you know, uh, archetype. Um, the doctor explains the Leviathan took his family. And Nikolai explains that... Stark is working on a photonic amplifier that he's found a way to uh, to alter uh, light in such a way, but they stole schemata. So if it's a Han and Chewie thing, I guess it would be the, the psychiatrist would be like, no, 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 this one goes here, that one goes there. Right, and when they wind up in the boiler room and they need an exit, the little girl shows up again. Um, they're, and, just, they're uh, just teeming from the walls. Yeah. Uh, Nikolai uh, turns sides here. He grabs one of the Americans and he explains to the Russians there that he will make a trade. Um, 
there's shooting, and before you know it, Dum uh, Dum Dugan is yelling "Wahoo!" Thompson, meanwhile, Matt, is what they used to call shell shocked. Absolutely, he's got the chase of the case of the jelly legs and the yellow liver as he sits there. You know, back in 1946, why would any man just sit there when you could act? Um, but the show choosing to go a bit deeper here to explore his PTSD a little bit. Um, again, something that they're able to squeeze in despite the fast uh, pace to the episode and the, the quick exit to Nikolai, who uh, who gets shot by the doctor. Um, so I guess, you know, Nikolai, a bit of a MacGuffin there. Well, let's go get the guy who has the thing. Now we don't need him anymore. So he's gone. Um, but it's a really fun battle, and as as Thompson is uh, is descending into into his uh, you know panic attack, for lack of a better word, we see Peggy lifting up that gun, uh, you know, acting the hero that we know her to be, taking guys out. Then then you know she's the last one out of the building, jumps into the jumps into the truck, scintillating action, truck peeling out. Um, and then there's the line from the doctor. Uh, what is it, Pete? Uh, not too bad for a girl. Not bad for a girl. And then the uh, the act end. I hate you guys. <sighs> With that, Pete, in what is quickly becoming an episode of uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the truck takes us to the plane after the act break. And uh, what what goodness unfolds there? Well, good luck and goodbye here. Um, and uh, Dugan asks Carter, are you sure you want to get on that plane? You just need a nickname. Miss you. Miss Union Jack. <laughs> Which is just awful. Yeah, but it's it's within character. Oh, yeah. Uh, the doctor is ready to help Le- uh, fight Leviathan here. Tries bourbon for the first time. And um, it's on the plane that we get the reveal from Thompson um, that with all these necks that Peggy has saved, that uh, this was pretty bad for the Navy cross winner, explaining that um, the Japanese who he killed on Okinawa were carrying a white flag. They were coming to surrender. He didn't realize until it was too late. He buried the flag before anybody saw and that every day gets harder for him to live with. He's been trying to tell that story since he came back. And guess what, Matt? He just did. He did. He did. Uh, I mean, our our flippant. Ernest. I mean, our flippancy aside, it really is. A, it's a well acted scene. It's a well written scene, and it's one that really is is. Um, shed some light on Thompson. Why does he act like he's the golden boy? Because he has to act like he's the golden boy. He knows this is, this is not a title that he has earned, uh, but that has been thrust upon him nonetheless. And he kind of, you know, some of that distance of he's holier than thou is, is pressure put upon himself. I just thought it was an incredibly effective scene. I like my characters three dimensional. And uh, even though Thompson for the first four episodes, has by and large been a pig and a jerk. I, I, I like that there's a reason why. You know, he, he's driven by this profound thing. And Chad Michael Murray did a did a very good job with this material here, you know. Um, you know, trying to uh, certainly put a face on something we now take much, much more seriously than we did back then. It, you know, it was... 
it was the type of thing where people, um, you know, just didn't get into those stories and, you know, they, they weren't concerned with why people felt the way they did. So it's, it's relevant today as relevant as it was then and, uh, retrospectively. So, but, uh, we get Dottie again, um, who apparently likes to, uh, experience her youth when she goes to sleep and she's still handcuffing herself to the bed. No innuendo out of me, no flippancy out of me on this particular topic. It was just a statement of how brainwashed she is. It was an incredibly potent scene. Uh, Just this notion that for her to have a good night's sleep, she has to feel the steel around her wrist. She has to have her arm elevated. It just was so wonderfully done. This is the medium of television and film where you can just show it and... It's just nailed on screen. It's a, the picture is worth a thousand words, and it's just it just educates the viewer so much as to just how profoundly warped this character is. More than you know, almost you know, it, it's a, it's almost a more effective uh, viewing than you know. Oh, she jumped up and killed a guy in the last in the last episode. This is just kind of profoundly strange and broken. It is. Um... SSR, meanwhile, is, uh, you know, broken, having lost another agent. Um, But Carter has acquired this information from the doctor. And uh, the chief doesn't think that Stark is connected to Leviathan and uh, gives Carter the old uh, good work. Um, But Sousa, meanwhile, is uh, off on his own and uh, Carter wants to know how it looks like he's the one who hasn't slept in two days. Of course, we know why. He's put the pieces together. Um, and uh, he's going to get a drink with them some other time. And there is his photo, which is going to be a big piece of the next episode. In this final scene, it, it, there's just some some wonderful trajectory out of Thompson when he and Peggy are in the chief's office. His voice is hushed as he's you know telling the chief uh, the particulars of what Peggy did. Um, I think not hushed in humiliation or hushed in shame, but I think just hushed in having been proven wrong in his views. Um, she of course is so congenial as to, as to include him in the, uh, in the credit, uh, side note. I wonder if that, I wonder how that would go over in the modern sense. You know, I mean, it is her victory to have. And I think that if this was, you know, agent Carter, you know, LA law or something like that, NY law, Peggy <laughs> Carter lawyer, you know, we'd be going, Oh my goodness. No, just take the win. You don't need to, you know, share what isn't to be shared but here she's being a team player she's demonstrating that as she's as she's breaking through the uh, the expectations of the day um then of course thompson on his way out for for a drink with the guys and invites peggy out for the drink huzzah and this pete is where i stopped caring about the one shot being canon or not canon i would dare say that this scene invalidates the one shot which takes place after this because here we see her in that in that heartbreaking moment of the one shot we see it now erased as thompson is taking her out and 
regardless of the nature of the one shot and where it fits into things, just a wonderful moment where he's saying, we are a team. Welcome aboard, Agent Carter. I couldn't say it any better myself. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. You got to really start, and I would uh, probably end with Dottie in this episode. There's a really non-specific threat in this Russian boarding school. We don't, well, we can speculate what it is we're looking at. Um, but we can't definitively say to this point. It's an ongoing story. But given that Dottie was trained there and she's now been weaponized like some sleeper agent uh, abroad, um, she is the threat from within. You saying that, Pete, I'm kind of aware that though the episode was not lacking in any way, it is kind of oddly without a bad guy. And that I'm fine with it. I'm, oh, sure. You know, we, we, <laughs> the time we've spent in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and our, our listeners, you know, uh, know going back to uh, Iron Man, um, you know, there, there's a longstanding tradition of this guy's the, ba- oh, no, he's not the real big bad guy. There's another big bad guy and, and everything there. And, you know, I, I like that this breaks from the mold. Yeah. Um, we didn't need to have Russian generals. You will not get the Stark tech. <laughs> microphone. I, I think your Russian performance just kind of, you got a little mad with power there. But um, I agree. The episode didn't need it. Just simply go. I mean, you know, it's it's completely MacGuffin driven, as I said earlier. Going to get the thing because they think Stark is going to be there. Going to get proof of the meat or the sale or the whatever which then ends up being something else and then you know who's the main force of opposition a bunch of a bunch of tan clad russians you know all kind of you know low level you know extras with machine guns type thing um again kudos to the writing that it worked because at no point was i kind of saying you know i i need to have a face here on who the bad guys are it's it just it just worked completely and frankly let the story breathe so that Dottie could be front and center for the lineup without having direct impact to tonight's story classified top secret holy mackerel time for you to take a gander with the g-men don't want you to know pete what don't the G when G men want us to know? What is up with this uh, havoc reactor? Real thing or just uh, Cody code code thing MacGuffin thing? Do I think Agent Carter, the TV series, is going to introduce a new terrible threat, the havoc reactor? Uh, in the next three episodes in what they know could be the conclusion of the series. Uh, no, I think for the purposes of the story, it's just techity tech tech. It's a thing with a name. Um, and to be fair, they've written this trap door nicely where some of the Stark Stark tech, it doesn't work at all. It's a weird idea. It makes green flames and blue flames, but does nothing else. And other of the Stark tech, you know, can create a mini black hole and suck things towards it or turn off the lights in the city or 
elevate cars except for when the elevation thing breaks at the world's fair you know it the show and the nature of stark being half bs artist and half genius um means that we can have it every which way i don't think we're doing anything with the havoc reactor in the next three episodes um flip side when not if dear listeners but when they are picked up for a second season it's a dangling thread that they could pick up if they want to so I'll say for this season, Niente. Matt is, or shall we say was, Nikolai an inhuman? Um, I'm just going to go with no. I'm going to say he's just kind of savant-ish and, and has that sort of, you know, just, you know, I, I was going to say extrasensory perception, but I don't mean ESP. Just kind of this, you know, quick mind, this genius mind. Um, so that's, that's my vote. I'm going to vote no. Not exposed to the GH325 or any of the Cree stuff that allows him to see things in, it was a very specific reference in these other dimensions. Um, well, when you put it like that, how about it certainly is very, very possible. It certainly is plausible. And look, they're clearly not going to do much more with it unless they resurrect him from the dead, which I kind of doubt again, you know, we can speculate about certain things within the reality of this story, but there's also the fictional nature of the story, and they have three episodes left, so I doubt he's going to come back as, you know, Flamor, the master of flame, <laughs> who uses his brain to, you know, like, I don't yes. think we're headed there with that in this story. Um, so perhaps they just did a little, ooh, it could be. And it's, again, this situation where they can have it both ways. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. We don't have enough story to tell to, to focus on that. So the world is very rich around us. Back to Agent Carter. Um, so based on the evidence you've given me, Pete, I'll say maybe. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us a the Twitter. And Pete, we start our long distance segment with a note posted on the website it comes from our pal tom sinclair who says about episode 104 the blitzkrieg button just a couple of thoughts about this episode leet brannis told carter leviathan only wants one thing from howard stark i think we now know what regarding stark flying out of russia after the battle of fernow could he have been helping dr vanko defect speaking of vanko i'd love to see more of him Costa Ronan is doing great work as a KGB officer on the Americans. And yes, that is his real accent. So Pete, your thoughts on Vanko? Certainly in the offing. Ooh, so terribly mysterious. Pete, what other long distance calls have been made our way? We have not received any new reviews to our uh, iTunes uh, account. However, Uh, We have a remedy. We're hoping to fix that. Our next giveaway, our first, of course, we'll be drawing for uh, in just a moment. But our next giveaway will be for all new reviews made to either the Agent Carter um, account by Fantastic Geek on iTunes or our Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek on iTunes which we already have a little teaser up. And uh, Matt, a little more on that? 
Absolutely. Uh, the first full-length episode, a preview episode for the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek will be hitting that feed and our pop culture podcast feed in mm, about five days or so this upcoming weekend, February 7th and 8th, somewhere in there. Certainly before next week's Agent Carter, uh, we will have that up on the Daredevil feed and the pop culture podcast feed. So now is a great time. Hit pause on this podcast. Search iTunes or head over to FantasticGeek.com. Uh, sign up, subscribe, etc. And uh, then, I mean, you'll be you'll be completely on board for the next adventure. Yes. So all new reviews between now, February 3rd, and the final uh, episode of Agent Carter, which we assume, if the week schedule holds, will be Tuesday, February 24th, three weeks from tonight. Uh, that's not confirmed just yet. That is uh, pending, of course, a final decision. But all new reviews to uh, Fantastic Geek uh, for Agent Carter and our new Daredevil podcast between now and then will be entered uh, for a drawing for an item that I will reveal tomorrow on Twitter via a picture. So uh, I'll give you my Twitter um, handle in just a little bit, as we always do. And you can look for that tomorrow. You can leave your iTunes review and be entered for that. And again, the drawing should be, should be uh, Tuesday, <clears throat> uh, February 24th. But Matt, we do have a drawing to get to tonight. Uh, this promotion here was for uh, all likes in the month of January um, to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash fantastic with a PH geek, all one word. And uh, quite, quite a few likes uh, driven by this promotion. We want to thank you and, you know, reinvigorating our presence on that other social media platform. And without further ado, Matt, our drawing. I'm very excited. You can hear the papers there, everyone. All right. I hold in my hand the winner of Shield Comic Number One, which has a special place in uh, in our hearts as our mothership podcast to the Marvel Mothership uh, Cinematic Universe TV show. And the winner is Mary Ellen Landolfi. So, Mary Ellen, I will be in touch and we'll get you uh, that comic as soon as possible. We want to thank everybody who liked uh, Fantastic Geek on Facebook in January. Please don't unlike us now. There's going to be uh, <laughs> plenty of things to like in the future. And yet again, just another way to interact with us. Congratulations, Mary Ellen and uh, Pete. Thank you for captaining this uh, this particular promotion. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing who the next winner is. Pete, though, captain as you are, you're more than that. You're practically a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you? Well, 5,029 followers can't be wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. Pete, while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program in just a, a variety of ways. 
be in touch with Fantastic Geek, won't you? That's fantastic with the PH. You can send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail. Post us a note to the dot com. You can Western Union or whatever the thing is to go on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek if you'd like to lend us a hand. Um, don't forget, too, you can tweet us your telegraphs on Twitter. Fantastic Geek is the way to go. Pete, is there anything else, any other way people can get in touch with us? Yes, this book uh, uh, that contains faces, uh, facebook.com forward slash fantastic with a PH, Fantastic Geek. Excellent. And uh, with that, Pete, I'll say goodbye, good night, good luck, one and all. And Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? You're looking for a peep show, Carter. Try Times Square. <laughs> <laughs>